Section 6 of A Year Amongst the Persians by Edward Granville Brown. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A Year Amongst the Persians by Edward Granville Brown. We next visited the dispensary of Dr. Samuel, whither H. had already preceded us. Here, for the first time, I was able to appreciate the difficulties incidental to the practice of medicine amongst a people whose curiosity prompts them to hover round the physician long after their own cases have been dealt with, and who are only too eager to, to throw out hints on diagnosis and treatment whenever they get the opportunity. Our visit to the dispensary was so far unfortunate that, on returning to our caravanserai towards evening, after a stroll in the bazaar and a chat with the postmaster, I found a crowd of people assembled outside, who, on beholding me, cried out, He comes! The Firangi Hakim has arrived! and thronged after me into the square. This assembly consisted of several sick people, accompanied by a number of their friends and relatives, who, hearing that we had some knowledge of medicine, were anxious to consult us. On inquiry, I learnt that they had previously been attending Dr. Samuel, from whom they had obtained medicine, of which they had only made a very brief trial. I therefore told them that they had better give his treatment a fair chance before deserting it for some new remedy, especially as I was convinced, both by conversation with the Syrian doctor and by observation of his practice, that he was at least as competent as myself to advise them. It was with much regret that, on the following morning, 29th October, we prepared to quit Hoi. For some time I despaired of ever getting off. Inside the room where we were vainly attempting to pack our things were our Syrian friends, together with Mir Jalaluddin, who had come to bid us farewell. Outside were crowds of sick people come for advice and treatment, irregular soldiers anxious to be engaged as an escort, and idle spectators, while above all vis was visible the ugly grinning face of Faisalala, the muleteer, trying to hasten our departure with cries of Gulach, which in the Turkish dialect of Azerbaijan signifies, let us go. At length, about 11am, our preparations were completed, and we were on the point of starting, when Mir Jalaluddin, who had disappeared for a while previously, approached me to bid me farewell, and to give me two more proofs of his good will. The first of these was a letter of introduction to a brother Darvish at Tabriz, who, he assured me, would very probably consent to accompany me on my travels, and would perhaps even return with me to my native country. Unfortunately, I was unable to put this statement to the test, and the letter was never used. The second was a small white circular object, looking like an unperforated and much-worn shirt-button, which he said was a talisman, sufficient, in all probability, to protect me against the danger of being robbed or murdered, which had been predicted by the opium-smoking geomancer. As a further precaution, however, he added that I should do well, in the event of robbers making their appearance, to dismount from my horse take a handful of dust from the road, blow on it, and scatter it around me, at the same time uttering the Bismillah, 
when the robbers would infallibly disperse. He then asked me to give him a nazr, or offering of money, for the darvishes, who would exert their influence to protect me from harm, and, having received this, he finally bade me farewell. Quitting the town by a gate opposite to that by which we had entered it, we passed through a long avenue of poplars, and shortly afterwards reached a point where the road bifurcated, one branch leading southwards in the direction of Arumie, and the other, which we pursued, eastwards towards the hills which we must cross to reach Tabriz. Near the summit of one of these hills was a small imamzadeh, or shrine, which, as Farah informed us, was reputed most efficacious in curing persons afflicted with hydrophobia, or bitten by a serpent. After a short stage of four hours, we reached a little village called Sayed Tajaddin, where we halted for the night. Next day we continued to ascend for about two hours until we reached the top of the pass. From this we had a magnificent view of the great salt lake of Urumie, glittering in the sun and studded with numerous rocky islands, which, as an effect of the mirage, appeared deeply indented at the base. Descending by the dry bed of a river which did duty for a road, we soon entered the plain which skirts the lake on this its northern side. Here we fell in with a wandering snake-charmer, who, after exhibiting to us the immunity with which he handled his snakes, pressed us to buy pieces of dirty bread, which he assured us would prove an infallible remedy for snake-bites. This, however, I declined to do, for I thought myself sufficiently provided with talismans for the present. Before 2 p.m. we reached our halting-place, Tasuch, a large but uninteresting village, distant about a mile from the shore of the lake. Nothing worthy of note befell us here, except the loss of a purse of money, which event our friend the geomancer, had he known of it, might perhaps have claimed as the fulfilment of a part of his prediction. The following day's march took us to Dizahalil, a good-sized village with a fair bazaar, situated amidst gardens of poplars near the northeast corner of the lake. Here we obtained good quarters, where our host brought us, together with a present of flowers, an old copy of the Pilgrim's Progress, left behind by some previous traveller. Next day, Tuesday, 1st November, after a tedious march of nearly ten hours, broken by a short halt about 2 p.m., at a disconsolate village called Mian, we reached Tabriz, the capital of the province of Azerbaijan, the residence of the Valiad, or Crown Prince, and one of the largest, if not the largest, of the cities of Persia. Although we were provided with letters of introduction to Mr. Abbott, the British Consul, it was too late to think of presenting them that evening, and accordingly, after threading our way for nearly an hour through the vast suburbs which surround the city, we were glad to alight at the first respectable caravanserai which we came to. On the following morning we repaired to the British Consulate, and were very kindly received by Mr. Abbott and his wife, who invited us to be their guests during our sojourn in Tabriz. We gladly accepted this invitation, for we had not seen a European since leaving Erzurum, and had not slept in a proper bed since we quitted the Hôtel d'Italie at Trebizond. We remained at Tabriz four days. During this time we became acquainted with Mr. Whipple, 
one of the American missionaries, who kindly undertook to pilot us through the interminable labyrinth of bazaars, perhaps the most extensive in Persia, and the Turkish consul, Bejit Bey, who, in addition to an excellent knowledge of Persian, possessed the best temper, the keenest sense of humour, the cheeriest laugh, and the most voracious appetite that I have ever seen in one of his nation. Although Tabriz is so important a town, it offers few attractions to the sightseer beyond the bazaars, the Blue Mosque, Masjid al-Kabud, and the citadel, Arg, of which the two last are said to date from the time of Harun al-Rashid. Both of these monuments of antiquity we visited on the second day after our arrival. The Blue Mosque is now little more than a ruin, but the handsome tiles and inscriptions which still adorn its walls bear witness to its ancient splendour. The citadel, also said to have been originally a mosque, consists of a square enclosure with a single entrance, opposite to which rises a lofty, massive, rectangular tower, accessible by means of a staircase in the left lateral wall of the quadrangle. The opposite side of the quadrangle is formed by a large ambar, or magazine, now used as a storehouse for arms and ammunition. The view from the summit of the citadel is very extensive, and enabled me, in some degree, to realise the magnitude of the city, which lay below us like a map. From this height, in former days, criminals were sometimes hurled into the ditch below. On one occasion, we were informed, a woman condemned to suffer death in this manner was so buoyed up by the air inflating her loose garments that she reached the ground uninjured. Whether this story is true or false, I cannot say. Neither did I pay much attention to its recital, my thoughts being occupied with the tragic death of the young prophet of Shiraz, Mirza Ali Muhammad, better known as the Bob, which took place on 9th July 1850, at or near this spot. As I shall have to say a good deal about the Bobby religion in subsequent chapters, it may not be altogether out of place to give here a brief account of the life and death of its founder, although the history of these is well known, and has been repeatedly set forth. Footnote 1. See Cobenot's Religion et Philosophie dans l'Asie Centrale, Mirza Kozembeg's articles on Bob et les Bobby, in the Journal Asiatique for 1866, several articles by myself in the Journal of the Royal Asiatic Society for 1889 and 1892, The Traveller's Narrative, written to illustrate the episode of the Bob, edited, translated and annotated by me for the syndics of the Cambridge University Press, 1891, and my forthcoming translation of the new history of Mirza Ali Muhammad the Bob, 1893. End of footnote. Mirza Ali Muhammad was born at Shiraz on 9th October 1820. His father, Syed Muhammad Reza, a cloth merchant in that town, died while he was still of tender age, leaving him to the care of his uncle, Haji Syed Ali. At the age of 17, he was sent to the port of Bushir on the Persian Gulf, where, while engaged in transacting the business with which he had been entrusted, he rendered himself conspicuous, not less by the austerity of his morals, than by the sweetness and amiability of his disposition. Addicted from an early age to religious meditation, 
he was soon impelled to abandon commercial pursuits and to undertake a pilgrimage to Mecca and the shrines of the Imams, so dear to every pious Persian, at Najaf and Kabbalah. Here he became the pupil of Haji Sa'ir Khazim of Rasht, a theologian who, notwithstanding the enmity and opposition of the orthodox Shiite clergy, had already begun to exert a considerable influence on Persian thought, and to gather round him a numerous band of ardent disciples. Mirza Ali Muhammad, in spite of his youth and retiring disposition, soon attracted the attention of this teacher, who did not fail to be struck by the sweet and thoughtful countenance of the young Shirazi. Nor was Syed Khazim the only one who yielded to a charm which few could wholly resist. Many other learned and devout men began to look with respect and affection on one whose humility only served to throw his other virtues into bolder relief. Thus were sown the seeds of that devotion, which was destined ere long to write the testimony of its sincerity in letters of blood throughout the length and breadth of the Persian land, and which was to prove once more to the world that all the torments which the tyrant can devise or the torturer execute are impotent to subdue the courage born of faith and enthusiasm. It is unnecessary for me to describe in detail the process whereby there grew up in the mind of Mirza Ali Muhammad a conviction that he was destined to become the reformer and saviour of his nation. Suffice it to say that, after a prolonged inward struggle, on 23rd May 1844, he proclaimed himself to the world as the Bob, or Gate, whereby men might win to the sacred mysteries and spiritual truths of which he had become the recipient. Before long he had gathered round himself a number of disciples. Amongst these were many of the most distinguished pupils of Said Khazim, whose recent death had left them temporarily without a recognised head. They eagerly adopted the doctrines of their former fellow-student, and began to preach them openly, wherever they went, so that in a short time the fame of Mirza Ali Muhammad was noised abroad throughout the whole of Persia, and everywhere men began to say that the Imam Mahdi had come at last for the deliverance of the nations, and the establishment of universal justice and peace. At first but little attention was paid to the new sect by the government or clergy, but towards the end of the summer of 1845 they began to be alarmed at its, at its rapid spread and took measures to check its progress. The Bob, who had just returned from Mecca to Bushir, was brought to Shiraz and placed in confinement. His followers were prohibited from discussing his doctrines in public, and some of the more active were beaten mutilated and expelled from the town. In the early summer of 1846, however, a plague broke out in Shiraz, and, during the general consternation caused by this, the Bob effected his escape, and made his way to Isfahan, where he was well received by Manishir Khan, governor of that city, who afforded him protection and hospitality for nearly a year. Early in 1847, Manasher Khan died, and his successor, anxious to curry favour with the government, sent the Bob, under the care of an escort of armed horsemen, to the capital. So serious were the apprehensions already entertained by the government of a popular demonstration in the prisoner's favour, 
that his guards had received instructions to avoid entering the towns by which they must needs pass. At Koshan, however, a respectable merchant named Mirza Jani, footnote 1, Mirza Jani's chief claim to distinction is as the historian of the movement for which he gave his life. His history, of primary importance for the study of Baobism, contains a vast number of curious particulars, doctrinal and biographical, which have been omitted, not unintentionally, by later Bobby writers. It is, however, extremely rare. So far as I know, only two manuscripts of it exist, and one of these contains only a third part of the work. Both these manuscripts belonged formerly to the Comte de Gobineau, and both are now in the Bibliothèque Nationale at Paris. See my translation of the New History, Introduction and Appendix 2. End of footnote. Mizajani, who subsequently suffered martyrdom for his faith, prevailed on them by means of a bribe to allow their prisoner to tarry with him two days. At the village of Khonlik, also near Tehran, a number of believers came out to meet the Bob. Amongst these was Mirza Hussain Ali of Nur in Mazandaran, who, at a later date, under the title of Bahu'lala, the Splendour of God, was recognised by the great majority of the Babis as their spiritual chief, and who, till his death, on 16th May 1892, resided at Acre in Syria, surrounded by a band of faithful followers, and visited yearly by numbers of pilgrims. The late king, Muhammad Shah, and his chief minister, Haji Mirza Agassi, dreading the effect likely to be produced in the capital by the presence of the Bob, determined to send him to the fortress of Maku, on the northwest frontier of Persia, without allowing him to enter Tehran. Thither he was accordingly conveyed, but at Zanjan and Milan he received a popular ovation, and even at Maku it was found impossible to prevent him from receiving occasional letters and visits from his adherents. Nor did the plan of transferring him to the sterner custody of Yahya Khan, governor of the castle of Chihrik near Rumie, meet with much better success in this respect. Meantime, while the Bob was occupying the weary days of his imprisonment in compiling and arranging the books destined to serve as a guide to his followers, after the fate which he had but too much cause to apprehend should have removed him from their midst, his emissaries were actively engaged in propagating his doctrines. Fiery enthusiasm on the part of these was met by fierce opposition from the Orthodox party, headed by the clergy, and it needed only the confusion and disorder introduced into all departments of the empire by the death of Muhammad Shah, 5th October 1848, to bring the two factions into armed collision. The strife, once kindled, rapidly assumed the most alarming proportions, and the reign of the present king, Nasruddin Shah, was inaugurated by formidable insurrections of the Babis at Yazd, Niriz, Zanjan, and in Mazandaran. Of the latter two risings I shall have to say something when I come to speak of the places at which they occurred. For the present, it is sufficient to state that, after the rising in Mazandaran had been suppressed with great difficulty, and the sacrifice of many lives, 
a revolt which threatened to defy the united efforts of the whole Persian army, broke out at Zanjan. Thereupon, by the advice of Mirza Taki Khan, at that time Prime Minister to the young king, an attempt was made to strike terror into the hearts of the insurgents, and to fill their minds with despair, by the public execution of the Bob, who, though innocent of any direct share in the plans or counsels of the rebels, was regarded as the source from which they drew the enthusiasm which inspired them with a resolution so obstinate and a courage so invincible. Accordingly, orders were dispatched to Debris to bring the Bob thither from his prison house, and, after the form of a trial, to put him to death. After enduring all manner of insults at the hands of the government authorities, the clergy, and the rabble of the city, through the streets of which he was dragged for many hours, he was finally brought to the place of execution, near the citadel, a little before sundown. An immense crowd, drawn thither, some by sympathy, others by a vindictive desire to witness the death of one whom they regarded as an arch-heretic, but actuated for the most part, probably, by mere curiosity, was here assembled. Many of those who composed it were at least half convinced of the divine mission of the Bob, Others, who had come with feelings of animosity or indifference, were moved to compassion by the sight of the youthful victim, who continued to manifest the same dignity and fortitude which had characterised him during the whole period of his imprisonment. The Bob was not to suffer alone. The sentence which had been pronounced against him included also two of his disciples. One of these, Aga Sayyid Hussain of Yazd, who had been his companion and amanuensis during the whole period of his captivity, either actuated by a momentary but uncontrollable fear of death, or, as the Bobbies assert with more probability, obediently to orders received from his master, bidding him escape at all hazards and convey to the faithful the sacred writings of which he was the depository, declared himself willing to renounce the creed for which he had already sacrificed so much and the master to whom he had hitherto so faithfully adhered. His recantation was accepted, and his life spared, but his death was only deferred for two years. In September 1852 he met the fate which he no longer affected to fear amongst the martyrs of Tehran. The other disciple was a young merchant of Tabriz, named Aram Muhammad Ali, Although every effort was made to induce him to follow the example of his comrade, and though his wife and little children were brought before him, entreating him with tears to save his life, he stood firm in his faith, and only requested that at the moment of death he might still be allowed to fix his gaze on his master. Finding all efforts to alter his decision unavailing, the executioners proceeded to suspend him alongside of his master at the distance of a few feet from the ground, by means of cords passed under the arms. As he hung thus, he was heard to address the Bob in these words, Master, art thou satisfied with me? Then the file of soldiers, drawn up before the prisoners, received the command to fire, and, for a moment, the smoke of the volley concealed the sufferers from view. When it rolled away, a cry of mingled exultation and terror arose from the spectators. For, while the bleeding corpse of the disciple hung suspended in the air, pierced with bullets, the Bob had disappeared from sight. 
it seemed indeed that his life had been preserved by a miracle, for, of the storm of bullets which had been aimed at him, not one had touched him. Nay, instead of death, they had brought him deliverance, by cutting the ropes which bound him, so that he fell to the ground unhurt. For a moment even the executioners were overwhelmed with amazement, which rapidly gave place to alarm as they reflected what effect this marvellous deliverance was likely to have on the inconstant and impressionable multitude. These apprehensions, however, were of short duration. One of the soldiers espied the bob, hiding in a guard-room which opened on to the stone platform over which he had been suspended. He was seized, dragged forth, and again suspended. A new firing party was ordered to advance, for the men who had composed the first refused to act again. And, before the spectators had recovered from their first astonishment, or the bobbies had had time to attempt a rescue, the body of the young prophet of Shiraz was riddled with bullets. The two corpses were dragged through the streets and bazaars, and cast out beyond the city gates to be devoured by dogs and jackals. From this last indignity, however, they were saved by the devotion of Suleiman Khan, and a few other believers, who, whether by force, bribes, or the influence of powerful friends, succeeded in obtaining possession of them. They were wrapped in white silk, placed in one coffin, and sent to Tehran, where, by order of Mirza Yahya Sob Ezel, the morning of eternity, who, though but twenty years of age, had been chosen to succeed the Bob, they were deposited in a little shrine called Imam Zadeya Masum, which stands by the Hamadan road, not far from Ribata Karim. Here they remained undisturbed for seventeen or eighteen years, till the schism originated by Beha deprived his half-brother Ezel of the supremacy in the Bobby church, which he had hitherto enjoyed, when they were removed by the Baha'is, to whom alone is now known the last resting place of the glorious martyrs of Tabriz. End of section 6